It's your calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. Items in the news that you might have missed. Europe calling. So, very good day. Welcome, everybody. The date is the 4th of May, 2023, and it's gone a bit dull. Well, down here in the south of Spain, we had a nice morning, and then um, usually about sort of four o'clock, five o'clock, the wind does get up, which is why we have so many windsurfers come to this part of the coast. And then it's gone very grey, very mucky, and um, who knows, we could get a bit more rain because we had some on Monday. Who knows, anyway. So let's go about uh, 45 minutes to the west, and I should find Terry. And Terry, what's your weather like, and have you had a good morning so far? I've had a great day. It's uh, been a lovely day today, fun enough. Yeah, the weather's a little bit cloudy, thank God. It takes a bit of the heat away. Yeah, I was further south today, about an hour and a half drive from where I am. Further south, and that was about 25, 26 degrees, I think. Uh, yeah, that little bit of cloud was uh, much appreciated today. Okay, let's see what we've got then in our treasure chest for uh, discussion for today. <laughs> sure you'll be aware in the united kingdom uh, fever pitch is probably mm, yeah i don't think it's going over the top as we look at uh, the coronation ahead and i've read this morning that ash sarker senior editor at novara media which i must admit i never heard of tore into the royal family in her latest controversial broadcast against the, the firm just days before king charles's coronation on saturday the journalist who previously called for britain's national anthem to be replaced with a grime banger i don't know what that means by the way i'll ask terry in a minute uh, said young people interested in the values of fairness and representation were increasingly becoming turned off by the royals whatever way you slice it the monarchy is neither a fur nor representative in Institution, Ms. Sarka told BBC's Newsnight, uh, but her comments triggered fury online with royalists branding them as nonsense and a load of hot air. Well, you would expect that. So let's find out whether Terry has much uh, of a, a different point of view or whether, in fact, um, there is some truth in what's being said. So let's go to that first, Terry. Um, and, uh, you know, first of all, uh, a grime bank. I've no. Would you know that term? <laughs> I've no idea, but I can only assume the title is it deserves uh, the merit to the, the type of music that it's alluding to. I've no idea. It's, I've no. I don't think I want to know. To be honest with you, um, I'm a traditionalist. I'm a royalist. I'm a traditionalist, and God save the king. And I hope there's many more of them. Um, republicanism doesn't really seem to work that well around the world. It's good to have. Um, royalty, a king, the, the royalty in the UK, the Queen, for instance, at Bless Her Heart, um, diligently signed everything every day from, from Parliament. She has to sign it. Um, I've, signed, I've signed acts of Parliament uh, into power. Um, she has to virtually rubber stamp them. But I would imagine she or and the King Charles now would have a view on certain things to perhaps temper certain uh, laws down uh, which gives us a bit of a break on the lawmaking system which you don't get in a republican well basically a dictatorial system you can see how it's it's not working in the states that's for sure um you've got a two-party system there and it really it really isn't working when when then the only two candidates are in their 80s for president of the country um i'll have to think 
what the hell are the Americans doing? Surely yeah. there are better, better people that could take on the job. Uh, for most responsible of jobs, the most powerful country in the world um, needs to be in safe hands than, than an oxygenarian. Um, you know, I'm no chicken myself, but I wouldn't like to think I could run a country as well as a younger person. Uh, though sage uh, knowledge uh, is always good, very good, uh, and an older person, but not to actually, uh, no. I think it's very worrying when you're that age, it must be very easy to press the button. <laughs> you yeah. know, how long have I got to live? Bang, let's get rid of them. Um, so, uh, no, I'm, I'm very much a royalist, very much a traditionalist. I don't really want to know about grime. What do you call it? Grime what? A grime banger, whatever that is. Oh, well, lovely. I must have a look and have a listen mm. to that. I bet it's absolutely fantastic. Um, no, I'm very much a traditionalist when it comes to royalty, and I'm an awful lot of time and respect for our royal family. Well, I'm not anti-royal, but I'm not pro-royal. It's quite a difficult one sometimes to explain. I think the big thing for me is nothing has replaced it that I would say is better. Um, but there have been so many aspects of uh, the royal family which really... Oh, have, I agree. You know... It's not done itself any favour. It's shown, unfortunately, that have been so out of pace with society... They were living, literally living in a, a Dickensian, Dickensian world, as far as I can see. Uh, and Prince Harry, bless his heart, I mean, I had a lot of respect for the lad going twice, two moves, two turns of duty in Afghanistan, risking his life for the country. Um, but uh, he, he, he's completely disgraced himself. As do many kids in families, they disgrace themselves and shoot off on their own and then eventually I suppose after years they sort of come back into the fold hopefully uh, but he's disgraced himself on, in, in a manner of, of discussing what's been going on behind the curtains in the room in, in the royal family and it's, that's not on at all nobody wants uh, your home secrets bandied about by a, your son or daughter in, and certainly those that are in the public eye completely couldn't be more in the public eye uh, and not only that, selling their story to TV, Netflix, books. I'm surprised he's even invited him to the uh, to the coronation. But I suppose that shows the the worth of the king that yeah. he he will forgive. Um, I just hope Harry takes it on board. If you go to what this lady was saying, and if she is a senior editor, then you know you you expect them to maybe look a little bit more sensibly. Whatever way you slice it, the monarchy is neither a fair nor representative institution. Um, I can understand really why she should make a comment like that because unfortunately um, I think it's also led by people not totally in awareness that the politics really are maybe partly led by the, the royal family, partly, um, but uh, realistically they stand away from the politicians and things that uh, represent how you create a first society. What I would imagine, I don't know whether I'm alone in thinking this, but I did speak with somebody on another podcast about it. Um, and really, I would have thought there's that this has been a wonderful opportunity for the king to actually say, well, hang on, I got a shed load of money from my dad dying. I got a shed load of money from my mother dying. I don't need more money because I'm stinking rich as it is. Why couldn't I come up with, um, you know, a think tank about how we could really use this money to benefit Britain? And I would have liked to have seen that. Um, would, would that have had any mileage for you? The family, the queen, bless her heart, she she brought in trillions into the company first criticism you get of the royal family is always about money why should we pay for them this 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 then this you don't pay for them they pay for themselves in as much that the, the, the queen spent her life touring the world no not on jolly jaunt holidays down to the beach and having a drink in the bar her, her duty to tour the world was to promote british industry wherever she went in the world she opened a, a, a trade exhibition of, of Briti uh, British industry and British commerce. That was her job, that was her duty. And, and, and in respect of that, she brought in, as a salesperson for the country, trillions into the country. The respect that the, 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 they had for her, 
and the attention that was drawn to British commerce and industry. Uh, trillions, absolutely unbelievable amounts of money because of her trips to these different countries and the context that contacts that she had with the uh, the heads head of state of these countries. She did a marvellous job, and I can only assume Prince Charles will carry on doing the same. The thing you have to um, praise Prince Charles for is the very thing that we all decried him for at the beginning, was he was, as far as I can remember, he was the first person to bring climate change to our, uh, 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 our senses, if you like, to, that we must come to our senses regarding climate change and the dangers that we face. He was the first person. I remember him being basically slagged from pillar to post, Prince Charles as he was then, for his comments about climate and the climate change, which have mostly proven to come true. Um, now, whether it's changing because what we're doing or whether it's changing because it's always changed, that's to, be, that's to be reasoned with. But surely we can do something about it by our uh, by limiting the, the acts that we do that create the, the, that go towards creating change in climate. But he, he, I'm talking about 40 years ago or something that he first brought this up. Um, and uh, he was the first person, as I, I can remember, that actually was talking about it at length. And the whole world was going, what's he talking about, this bloke? He's, he's got no idea. So I've got to give him a lot of respect on that one. I, I really do. And I was one of them that was poo-pooed him, don't get me wrong. But I've got to put my hand out and say, yeah, well done. I've got to say, over the previous couple of weeks, because of various things that have happened, I have given this matter some thought. And I think anybody who can't see that what goes on with the sun and the moon and all the planets uh, is something that is by design, uh, not by anything we do. I think they're deluded, quite frankly, because, you know, when you actually look at what people are trying to protest about, it's absolutely nonsensical. You you know, even as they're doing and making the protests, you've got the scientists telling us and informing us that chunks of the moon or the sun, or, well, the sun in this case, uh, are being jettisoned away from the, that particular star. Um, yeah, I don't think it matters really that much what we do, if I'm honest, Terry. The more I look at it, the more I see political shenanigans uh, and people trying to bring in... In controls on something that cannot be controlled. That's how I feel well, now. Put it this way: if, if you lived in a in a house that um, around your house, uh, periodically the, the the waters rose and rose and rose and and, and, and flooded and flooded your house, uh, and then went back down again um, in, in your your small area, um, then that is out of your control. But if you've got a huge leak on your water system within your house that is going to add to the flooding around your area and, and create a bigger problem. That's the way I read it. Okay, and I'm no all right with that, by the way. What is there? Well, we, we exist as, as, as a blue planet. I call it a miracle, call it a, a, a wonderful twist of fate. But the, the rays of the sun uh, are watered down by the atmosphere that we live in. And, but that atmosphere is being proven to be changed by the way we are living. So if we are changing the nature of the atmosphere and the, and the world is warming up because of that and there's more and more skin cancer, etc., etc., uh, we have to start thinking, well, we need to be able to do something about that. Can we put a big umbrella up or something? Um, and so if, 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 if carbon emissions, etc., and other chemicals, methane, etc., are, are, are said to be weakening the atmosphere around us, that's our protective shield. If we're causing that, by our emissions, then we need to be able to do something about it. But would you accept? This, this might be happening naturally, but if we're adding to it, just like having that leak in your house, you're adding to the flood, rather than the natural flood that ebbs and flows every now and then through your house, you're adding to it by not mending the leak. Would you accept, though, that if you look at the globe and you look at anything emanating from Britain and then look at the rest of the world and where the real problems lie. Um, yeah. I'm thinking certainly China. I'm certainly thinking even Brazil with the rainforest yeah. now. Um, I would immediately say, why don't you protest outside their embassies instead of bringing Britain's... Uh, I, I agree entirely. But strangely enough, Britain is one of a, of a handful of countries that is well in advance 
well in advance on, on achieving the, the, their goals to help keep the, the temperature down, the, the carbon emissions. They're well in advance of that. Um, and like you say, China, India uh, are just pumping it out and pumping it out and pumping it out. And you get, your, obviously you think, well, why should we bother when China and India are just pumping the states for that matter? Yeah. Are just pumping this stuff out. You know, well, why should we bother? We should bother because our little bit will help. And if we can educate other people to do that, that's what it's all about. But again, it's all about that five-letter word, Vince, money. But, but I mean, what I'm saying really is if, if we both agree, and, and if others hopefully agree, that the amount of impact that the United Kingdom will have on the world stage in this scenario, then if you have all these people doing what they're doing uh, as if it's Britain causing the problem, then realistically they're protesting to the wrong people, aren't they? Well, of course they are. I mean, no, these people... What they're, they're, these protests, you talk about stuff, oil, etc. They do things in a very uh, active way that they know will get a television camera down there and a journalist. They know that. They do it on purpose, climbing onto gantries, cluing themselves, gluing themselves to, to a motorway, etc., etc. They do it because they will get a reaction. They'll get the publicity that they are, they are seeking. Now, they are seeking the publicity. I firmly believe they're seeking it mainly for them rather than the cause they're trying to, to, to pursue. Because if rightly so, as you rightly say, if they, they were true enough to their cause, they would be in China and India sorting things out, yeah. doing their protests there, and good luck with that. Okay, but so they, the they, question... They need, they need the publicity. Now, there was 50, over 50,000 marching through London um, the other weekend uh, on... Um, that was on, on a climate thing. Never mentioned anywhere. Never saw anything on the news. Never saw anything in the newspaper. There've been there've been people talking about it on local radio stations about how it peacefully went through. But because nobody was smashing windows or setting fire to something, the press didn't bother with it. The TV cameras weren't there, so nobody knew about it. Okay, well, let's... an argument can be that unless you do something radical, that the press won't won't publicise your uh, your act. Okay, let's join two dots. We talked about the royal family and we've talked about the protesters. If we've got something like the Just Stop Oil protests interfering with the coronation, what would you propose should be done? Hang on. No, they've they've, they've no right to do that. Uh, I'm sure they've been warned as they were warned um, with the marathon, don't forget. There was protests about the marathon and they were warned severely. And yesterday, new laws were were, were signed. It through the, went through the Houses of Parliament and signed by the King, which are draconian in regarding protest. Maybe a little too draconian to the point, obviously, they're trying to stop people closing roads, uh, causing massive disruption. But also in that law, there's one of them says, if you are linking arms with another person, that can also be an arrestable offence. That's getting a little bit draconian, isn't it? Uh, I've gone a little bit too far. The police, the police appear to have covered every, every, covered every base they wish to be covered, without actually thinking this through, because somebody can use that law and twist it, and that you and I, and a mate walking arm in arm down the road, will be seen as a protest and could be arrested. Mm. Okay, well, look, we'll move on. We'll keep an eye on this one because we'll see what actually happens, especially uh, on the big day, um, because it will be interesting to see, A, if anything is tried, and certainly if anything is tried to see how the re- the reaction comes. So, look, Don't worry, the rain will stop everything. Don't worry about that. <laughs> rain stops play. Yeah. Off to Spain for the next one. Okay, so a veteran Crown Prosecution Service lawyer has revealed he and his wife are trying to evict squatters from their Spanish holiday home. Uh, So these people arrived for a sunshine break with their children to find another family and other strangers inside. So this guy is Mark Robinson, who's the head of the Crown Prosecuting Service Extradition Unit. And he's got a legal battle on his hands in Ibiza to recover the 
holiday home after flying there during the Easter holidays to find the locks had been changed um, and the uh, Spanish outlet The Objective has talked about this. The Robinsons flew to the Spanish island with their daughters on April the 4th and found the lights were on. Somebody was home and uh, this was all in the municipality of San Antonio, which is virtually as you get off the boat in actual fact. The couple called police who spoke to a man inside uh, who has said to have admitted he was squatting there with his wife and two children because he didn't have anywhere else to live. Mrs. Robinson told the paper, it appears they've been selling our belongings. We're certain our expensive bicycle we had in the house is not there anymore. Uh, When we finally gain access, we'll have to see if we end up accusing them of theft or criminal damage. Okay, the Occupas, as they call them here in Spain, uh, seem to have struck. uh, Maybe maybe they've actually targeted somebody's house that they shouldn't have done here. Um, Not that they should target anybody's, but he doesn't seem to be a soft target to me. What do you think? It's uh, the Occupas, or squatters as we know in English, uh, are an evil evil cult, as far as I'm concerned. Um, They're there... The, I mean, it, it could well be the guy's got a young family and he's got nowhere to live. So he's he's broke into this house and under Spanish law, uh, it's very difficult to get them out. Um, having said that, if this guy's quite an important guy, maybe I'm thinking, or maybe I'm thinking wrong, but maybe his house is quite a nice house. So they obviously haven't broken into a, a rough old tenement somewhere. Uh, they've, they've, oh, well, they've picked a nice one. Oh, we'll have this one. This would be a nice one, eh? Uh, the reason I know a fair bit about this because I've got a client now who's uh, who came, who went to England to, to nurse her husband, uh, and didn't come back for about two years. When she came back, her, her house was occupied, and she's in her eighties, no. and she's been having to live in a caravan ever since. Um, now I'll tell you now, and I've been because uh, I got into this quite a bit. Uh, the only way to get them out is money. That five-letter word, money. I'll tell you straight away. The best thing is send somebody in to negotiate how much they want and pay them. Because at the end of the day, it's it's going to be, be cheaper. By the time you've paid bailiffs and lawyers and etc. etc. Um, to to take them to court and to even get them to court, you're talking years. You want your house back? You go down there and pay them money. So that's what it's about. Now, call that fraud. Call it theft. That's what I call it. Uh, but that is the only way to get them out. Why? Because the Spanish law is an ass. They they tend they seem to improve matters with the the, the laws of regarding squatters. Uh, not long ago, but obviously they haven't. Um, and there's been a few high uh, highly advertised cases, reported cases where villagers have literally gone down there and dragged these people out, and the police have just turned turned a blind eye. Uh, because that's what villagers do. Yeah. If you're in a town or a city, it's a different animal. Um, but, but that has been happening. And I'm full in favour of that. There's no doubt about that. But I could literally go to work this morning and come back and find my house occupied. And what am I supposed to do? You know? I what think is this, this woman in her 80s supposed to do? She's living in a caravan. She's got a huge house. I know that house because I built it. Got a huge house, beautiful swimming pool, etc. They didn't just pick that, these people, because they wanted somewhere to live. I picked this house that I'm talking about, my client, because it's 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 a beautiful, luxury home. Um, they're driving her car. Uh, I'm not saying they've stolen anything, but they've certainly been through everything. They falsified. They made contracts up saying that it was with her husband. Uh, sadly for them, the date they put on it was was about six months after he died. Um, so uh, that didn't hold any water, but still didn't get them out of the house. Ridiculous. To get them to court is is horrendous. Am I right in saying that uh, it has to be longer than something like 48 hours since you've been in that house? Otherwise, the yeah, police do yeah, nothing. Yeah. It's not literally me going out to work this morning. And it's, it, it, it's, it's very good. If they're cute, they actually put money into a bank account. They open a bank account in your name in a bank and pay money into it like rent, like a peppercorn rent. Oh, um, right. But it, it's, the law's an ass. And it, there is uproar with this law throughout the country. Uh, and uh, it's because I think mainly we've been under a, a, a left wing and an extreme part of that government was an extreme left wing, the Podemos party, uh, have, have created so many awful, awful laws and situations 
that they are in complete disgrace and thankfully they'll be in the next elections they'll be banished to the wilderness but the damage is done and somebody's got to unpick all these laws um, and bring us back to normality and stop these disgusting people taking your house over I mean Vince you can go away for two weeks can't you yeah and you come back and they've got your house now what are you going to do yeah <laughs> I know what you want to do I know what I want to do but you can't do it yeah so um, <sighs> you have to do it for, for by the law and you're talking years I, I've um, you've got to rent somewhere so what do you do I think the best thing you would do is do a, go and steal somebody else's house and live in there yeah. and start a chain going it's awful it's a horrible thing I've actually um, had uh, somebody very close to us uh, who's exactly had that f uh, experience and uh, it was um, the gypsies who came and took over a whole uh, ex um, urbanisation. So, yeah, yeah I but think... On the, on the same, same point, in the UK, I find it awful when I see regular on television now where people are renting and they give them, I've been there for 10 years, and they're given like a week's notice to get out. And that and that's lawful. I find that so strange because in in Spain the laws of once you rent a property, it's very difficult to get them out. It's very difficult. You can on a whim in the UK. You can suddenly give somebody you, you you've got to leave. Why? Uh, doesn't matter why. Just you've got to go. And mm. you get them out. The reason why you normally get them out is because there's somebody else wants to rent it for three times the price. You know, it's it, it's awful what happens in the UK. I find that almost as bad as what's happening in spain with the squatters is the laws of the laws of the the, the inquilinos what's that in english the, the renters in the uk the laws that affect the renters in the uk is is they've no standing at all at all yeah you're going to get difficult people uh, in this world or people who abuse the property or and need to be thrown out but for god's sake law law abiding rent paying people all their lives you suddenly get a week's notice what the hell is that about yeah Okay, totally different one coming up next for you. So uh, let's see. I think you like this one. Just a reminder: everything we discuss is in the papers. We discuss them because they need to be a little bit more discussion on that particular theme, or maybe um, nobody's saying anything. Whichever way, here's the next one. So the World Health Organization, now one of those spurious, uh, I don't know if it's, um, no, it probably isn't a quango, but, you know, it's uh, definitely a, a weird organization, has come under fire for claiming the phrase responsible drinking stigmatizes drunks. The wording ignores the inherent risks of boozing and unfairly, unfairly pins the blame for poor behaviour on individuals who overindulge the... Oh, they're, they're calling it a quango. Okay, so the quango adds. This creates a sense of shame for those who fail to control their intake uh, when they are really a victim of the low price and easily availability of alcohol. Uh, this is what it's warning about. Critics accused the World Health Organization of trying to erase the concept of free will and personal responsibility so it could push nanny state restrictions. They said its guide to writing about alcohol is strewn with factual errors and skirmongering and highlighted that some of its authors have links to the temperance movement which promotes total abstinence terry over to you well i live in a country uh where the booze is relatively cheap thank god uh i'm certainly not a big drinker i have been in the past i've enjoyed a drink in the past uh, i was a regular drinker when i say a regular drinker i'll be drinking i don't know maybe six seven pints a night or something every night um that's the business i was in uh, i don't know I've, if i had three pints I know I've had it and that's me buggered for the next three days um, that's life but what I have my 50 years coming up of, of living in Spain has shown me um, that there is a they drink responsibly it, it, it appears unfortunately we've certainly with Brits so they can't go out There's, you either get drunk or you don't go out there doesn't seem to be any anything in between you either go out to keep drinking until you get thrown out, or you don't go out. 
because I can't see, I can't see there's very few occasions where there's anywhere in between that. But uh, in Spain, that doesn't happen. Uh, I've had bars and businesses, and and uh, and I might have a dozen young Spaniards come in. You know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, drink uh, legal age for drink, and they'll, a dozen will sit down at the table, and I might be at best, I might be able to serve four of them with a the drink, and they they would sit there normally smoking. Uh, I'm going back a bit. Uh, they'll sit there for about an hour and a half, occupying twelve seats and buying four drinks, and then they go out. They're, they're not. It's the occasion they go out for. They don't need to drink to have the occasion. <laughs> it's the cart before the horse, I think, with British people, and that's why Bendor makes so much money out of them. They they, they attract plane loads of them to, to get out there, and the whole idea is to get drunk as soon as you get on the plane. I think, as far as Ryanair are concerned, you're supposed to be drunk. I think it's it's it, it, as soon as you're on the plane, it, you get drunk, and then you're on the coach making a pillock of yourself, and then you're in the hotel making a bigger of yourself. And it's embarrassing. It's British people don't know how to drink, but certainly in Spain you don't get that. Now I was out this morning. I went to see. Uh, um, uh, I had breakfast. Now, when you say you had breakfast with somebody, it's not having a bowl of cornflakes, you know, in your, your dressing gown. In Spain, when you have breakfast with somebody, breakfast pertains to the mid-morning break, which is normally about half past nine, ten o'clock, and goes on for about half an hour. That's tr traditional break for all companies. And I went, I went down to, and I had breakfast with an old foreman of mine. I haven't seen him for quite a few years. Um, and he's not in too clever health, to be honest with you. But we went, we met, uh, and we ordered, we, we sat, and, and uh, straight away we ordered breakfast. Now, what was breakfast? A bottle of wine gets put on the table straight away, because that's what we always used to do. Uh, a bottle of wine, and then we'd have the different foods and bits and pieces, plates of food, and we'd pick at it, and a nice bit of fresh bread, fresh, uh, like French bread. Uh, and really enjoy ourselves. And I had I had wine and cassera, which is lemonade. I had one glass of wine and cassera. Uh, my old foreman, he's, he's retired now, so he had a couple of glasses of wine. And then he had a, a cup of coffee. And then he had a, uh, two whiskies. Um, and then he went home. And that was his breakfast. <laughs> well, that was that was that's traditionally why it does it. Even on my building sites, um, we always there was always beer or a bottle of wine. But we drank, we didn't sit there and, and neck a bottle of wine. You'd have a, you know, a, a glass of wine or a, a, a or half a pint of beer with your breakfast. And it was tradition. It's obviously not very legal to do that when you're on a building site, but it's the tradition. And it's the whole idea of the, the breakfast in Spain, which is half nine, ten o'clock, is very important because that's when people get together. That's the noisiest time. You want to, if you go into a bar in Spain at half nine, ten o'clock, a Spanish bar, my God, the noise is horrendous. Yeah, I, I was uh, taken by surprise the first time I did that. Yeah, but it, it's it, it's tradition, and it's it's a way of drinking. Now oh, I watch TV, and all I see on TV is when when a woman's got a problem, she's got to phone up her mate and go and get two bottles of wine and sit in the kitchen because that'll resolve the problem. That seems to be what an education is that? Why is that telling the people? It's telling people that it's okay to get drunk. Then you see the news, where you've got all these lovely young things who've gone out two hours earlier, a line in the gutter, you know, with their drawers around their ankles and vomit in the street. It's, it, it, it's awful, the, 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 the responsible drinking, that's where the phrase came from, doesn't seem to exist in certain countries, um, wow. but it does here. I'm not going to say that every, every Spanish person is a, is, is a god but, and an angel, but it's it's responsible because you can drink all day and all night the bars are always open all day and all night there are bars everywhere there's a bar in my garage there's a bar in my my workshop going or i'll take my car there's a bar in my hospital that i go to there's a bar in the bloody crematorium isn't there yeah there is there's a, there, there's a bar in every establishment it's not there for people to stand on mass and get absolutely drunk out of their heads it's there to enjoy a tipple. Let me just go back to... I don't see how, certainly Britain, have they got into the state they're at. Let me go back to what the World Health Organization is being uh, uh, criticised for. I'll just for. the connection there a minute. Okay. Um, okay, well, we're looking at the phrase responsible drinking uh, and they're saying these people that are having a go at that particular phrase, it stigmatises drunks, which is an inherent nonsense, really, because quite frankly, um, you know, if you're asking people to uh, drink responsibly, then really that's another way of saying don't get drunk. 
And yes. if you, you know, if you're having food with your drink, you're less likely to be getting drunk. And yeah. as long as you know that at a point you are not going to be taking your car, or yeah. you know, you're not going to be lolling all around the pavement and making a mess of uh, yeah. the, the floor, etc. Then uh, how else are they going to say it? The, 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 it has to be said. And really, what they're telling people to do is take responsibility for your drinking. I mean, if you want to rephrase it, that's what the saying and uh, as for stigmatizing drunks i've never heard such nonsense because if you're drunk it's because you've not drunk responsibly no two ways about it well have you ever seen a television program uh, in britain and i'm racking my brains now where somebody has gone in uh, uh, and had like one drink and had a real good time for for, for an hour chatting with their friends and gone out again it's very rarely you're going to see that it's normally down to hard drinking the whole idea of it is hard drinking uh, certainly on TV programs, and uh, and that they, I think that's a, a god awful message that's being portrayed. Now, obviously, advertising comes into this, so then I have to think, well, how much of a hand in the TV programs have the the alcohol producing companies got, or the supermarkets, or the whatever? I don't think it's the pubs and and, and, and Weatherspoons. So th- there's somebody somewhere that's that's telling program makers in the UK that. People, when they go, when, whenever it cuts to a pub scene, people are drinking at all times. Well, are drinking to a point that they won't be getting to a car again. Yeah, they do. You know, if you've had, I mean, over here, a pint of beer and you're technically over the limit. One pint of beer, you're technically over the limit. Yeah. Um, so I think in England's a bit, probably a bit more than that. But either everybody in all these TV programmes don't drive, <laughs> or they're all going to go they're in the pub doing what they've got to do and they're all going to go out and, and, and probably kill somebody it, it's a message the message is wrong Vince yeah. I'm not being puritanical on this it's this I've, I've, I firmly believe I'm talking British people now need re-educating regarding drinking I love a drink do not get me wrong I love a drink I love good company well that'll be it I mean I'm not going to end up on the floor I'll have a, I'll, I will not take me car if I'm going out I'll get a cab or if I'm out somewhere and I meet somebody and ends up having a drink with someone and the cab the car stays there and I get a cab home I religiously do that yeah because I know that you however well <laughs> however well you think you could drive your car you actually can't but the biggest danger is if somebody hits you and they haven't had a drink and you have it's going to be your your fault and in this country you'll end up in prison so it's a, it's a very good reason a, not to drink, or B, to drink responsibly, C, to leave your car at home. But I don't think, I don't, we've never been educated in it because of the Munitions Act in the First World War when, when opening times first started. Opening closing times comes from the First World War. When, when you, you, they opened, a, in my part of the world, 11 in the morning and shut at 2.30 lunchtime. Same for me. And then they'd open at 6 tonight and they closed at half past 10. That was because that was brought in in the First World War so the munitions workers wouldn't get drunk because they didn't want to be blowing up the factories. <laughs> and that law didn't get repealed until, Christ, 80, 90 years later or something. It's, it's, but we've been educated since then to drink at a rate of nuts. Why? Because your pub is only going to be open a couple of hours. So I used to do it when I was a, when I was a youngster, a teenager. I'd, I'd go down the pub. Well, I'd normally go down the pub about half past eight, nine o'clock, and it shuts at half past ten. And I would get through an awful lot of beer between nine o'clock and half past ten and the last thing i would grab uh, at the counter would be two bottles of barley wine because that was a strong kick i'd have that we'll be thrown out the uh, quite often the police around at 20 to 11 throwing you out leave yeah. a drink on the table get out and i'd walk home be about 10 minutes i'd walk out that pub completely sober in my own mind and by the time i got home i was drunk <laughs> i've done the mm. fresh air had got me you know so yeah. god forbid you know i wouldn't drive in them days anyway it's the same okay it's, it's, it's the way we've been educated we haven't been educated how to drink, whereas on the continent they have. I've got to say, conflict. I've never been a big drinker. So um, yes, when I was working, well, when I was working in the clubs and I had a free bar one night a week, that was the only night I let rip because fortunately the judo was always yeah. you don't go on a yeah. judo mat drunk. So there we are. Okay, right. here's the next one. Um, bang up to date this one. The number 
Okay, it's probably a good idea to keep your opinions to yourself. Uh, if your friend in particular gets a terrible new haircut, uh, but soon you might not get a choice. Now, oh, what's this about? It's about scientists at the University of Texas uh, in Austin. Uh, they are already training an artificial intelligence to read a person's mind and turn their innermost thoughts into text. Now, you know, I had to read on with this one. Three study participants listened to stories while lying in an uh, MRI machine, while an uh, artificial, in, artificial intelligence decoder analysed their brain activity. They were then asked to read a different story or make up their own. And the decoder could then turn the MRI data into text in real time. So this uh, is now raising concerns about mental privacy as it could be the first step in being able to eavesdrop on other people's thoughts. Doesn't sound uh, feasible at the moment, but then again, a lot of what our modern day life is about uh, had to start somewhere. This study published in Nature Neuroscience reveals that the decoder, which uses language processing technology similar to the chat GPT, that's the chatbot, um, has been trained on a massive amount of text data from the internet, allowing it to generate human-like text in response to a given prompt. So the brain has its own alphabet composed of 42 different elements that refer to a specific concept like size, colour or location and combines all of this to form our complex thoughts. Each letter in inverted commas, is handled by a different part of the brain. So by combining all the different parts, it is possible to read a person's mind. It's all coming from the United States, as you'd expect. Uh, they did this by recording MRI data of the three parts uh, of the brain that are linked with natural language, while participants listened to 16 hours of podcasts. So who knows? You could be on uh, this already without people knowing. <laughs> um, but, I mean, all joking aside, I did warn about things like this a couple of weeks ago on our um, podcast because I'd read... This is the thin edge of the wedge. You've got people like Elon Musk on the one side telling everybody it's dangerous. And yet you've got Bill Gates on the other side telling us it's not get, uh, dangerous. Well, I think everybody should be able to see that it's quite dangerous if they take this seriously. If, of course, they don't take it seriously, then we'll see where we go from that. But uh, what do you think on hearing it as I've read it? I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, uh, it is dangerous as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's it's developed way too fast and like everything else if you de develop things fast then caution goes out out the window and uh, mistakes can be made i mean you've only got to watch was it 2001 a space odyssey yeah um that was literally everything all about what we're saying now where the computer took over the spaceship uh and got rid of the the spaceman the astronauts the uh it, it, my car drives itself basically uh i steer it uh, it accelerates, it brakes, it keeps a, a set distance between me and the car in front, irrespective of what the car does in front of me, it will maintain that distance. If a child or, or, or ran out in front of my car, it will brake immediately. Before I could even get my foot in the pedal, that car will brake before I do. So I'm relying on artificial intelligence for the comfort of my journey. It makes my life easier during the day. Uh, but that is, that is using it for uh, good purposes. But when you consider that already it can break faster than I can break, so you, you then got to think, well, hang on, what else can be done here? And uh, was it the guy who was on the TV last uh, this week, or this or last week, who's just retired from uh, or resigned from it? Well, retired. let me read this because I've, I've got yeah. this right in front. I was going to bring that as the next point. Yeah, bring that in, yeah. Okay, so it's the godfather of artificial intelligence, and as I'm reading, he's tossed a grenade into the raging debate about the dangers after sensationally quitting his job at Google and saying he regrets his life work. He's British and a Canadian. Uh, he's a pioneer, Jeffrey Hinton, 75-year-old, further fanned the flames of a growing Silicon Valley civil war. He's issued a, a, a spine-chilling warning that scurry chatbots like the hugely popular chat 
GPT could soon become smarter than humans. So some of the world's greatest minds are split over whether AI will destroy or elevate humanity. Uh, Bill Gates, uh, Microsoft, of course, billionaire, championing the technology and the uh, Tesla founder, Elon Musk, a staunch critic, as I outlined earlier. Uh, the bitter arguments spilled into the public domain earlier this year when more than a thousand tech tycoons signed a letter calling for a pause on the dangerous race to advance AI. They said urgent action was needed before humans lose control of the technology and risked being wiped out by robots. So, yes, uh, it's right for us to mention this guy, isn't it? Very much so. But when you say a thousand uh, high giants said that um, the race to improve AI uh, should be stopped... How the hell are you going to do that? That five-letter word talks every time, money. Yeah. If you can make money out of artificial intelligence, and believe me, they will, big style, then uh, you are not going to stop anything. People will do anything for money. They'll create monsters. I've already got robots ringing me up on a regular basis. I don't know if you've had them yourself. Yes, we have, we have. Yeah, yeah I've had some nice conversations sometimes with them. <laughs> but um, it, it, it's, it, it, is, it, it is frightening. They know more than us, uh, I say they. Um, in intelligence, it, any computer is far faster than, than us. The things that it works out in, in a split second. I mean, the, 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 the maths that I use in my job, I'm still doing longhand half the time, but if, if you've got a, a, a reasonable uh, calculator, you can do it. You can work out your signs and your angles and weights and pressures. So it's done at a push of the button, certainly on a computer, bang, it's done. So it's 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 worrying that that power can end up in the wrong hands. Even more worrying that that power can end up in uncontrollable hands. Well, I'm going to take this even a little bit deeper because uh, the, the three articles were not in the same papers and not in the same place. So the third bit that I tagged onto this uh, reads, he was one of the most instantly recognisable voices in Britain. But have you ever wondered what David Attenborough would sound like speaking German? Well, now you can find out. Uh, this is all <laughs> thanks to a new AI tool that can clone anyone's voice. That's you and me and anybody and make them say anything in multiple languages. The tool by 11 Labs requires just a few seconds of audio and even maintains the speaker's original tone of voice. And creators hope this will expand the horizons in numerous fields, including publishing, game development and the media. You can try it yourself on 11 Labs website using your own voice or that of your favorite celebrity. Now, um, that's what was written and what i'm immediately thinking is if you have a um something that uh, you want to purchase or somebody wants to purchase it on your behalf using the technology think how easy that's going to be yeah well yeah uh, especially if we've been moving into a cashless society where everything's done electronically it's not a case of taking the pound notes out of your wallet anymore Try and do that in London, by the way. Try and buy a pint of beer with cash. And people point at the sign on the on the wall saying, card only. Honestly? I take cash. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know. It, it, we're not going to stop it, Vince. I said, I know we're talking about it, AI. We're not going to stop it. It will progress, and it's how we handle it. Uh, it's it's going to keep happening, I'm afraid, and it doesn't sound good to me. Yeah, I'm afraid I don't like the sound of it either. So, um, uh, I'm just sidetracking. There was a thing uh, uh, quite a while back already. It was, it was about AI and about how, as a computer model, um, they told this, this com the computer to to manufacture paper clips. So it worked out how to manufacture them, where to where to source the the raw materials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Purchase the machinery necessary. Went through everything. Got got on paper. It's all on computer. It got the, the warehouses, etc., and then bigger and bigger. And then it, it needed more and more. It just didn't stop. It needed, it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger because it could, because it was doing a perfect job in managing the, this hypothetical uh, paperclip manufacturing process. In the end, it was pulling, it was calling cars off the street, pulling them off the street and getting them scrapped to draw the metal 
to make paper clips. And it just kept making paper millions, trillions, zillions of paper clips. And it would get it would get the raw material any way it would, because that was its instruction. Mm. That was chilling when I, when when I, this was about 15, 20 years ago. That was chilling when I read that, but laughable. Now it's not laughable. That, now it's a worry. Well, the only uh, comforting thought is whenever you want to put your hands on a paperclip, that's quite difficult to find one, isn't it? I'll tell you what, where do they all go, Vince? Why do I keep buying paperclips? <laughs> well, we where know, do they all go? There well, must be a mountain of the battered somewhere. Well, we know now. It's wherever that, uh, <laughs> yeah. where that started. Is, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> here's something totally different. Just a reminder, you're listening to Europe Calling with Terry Whitehead and Vince Tracy. Okay, so we've been talking uh, incessantly about electric cars, but Sweden is building the world's first electric motorway, which will allow cars and lorries to recharge while driving. The e-motorway will be built along 13 miles of European Route E20. That's Halsborg to Arebro, I don't know this area, located between Sweden's three major cities of Stockholm, Gothenburg and Malmo, at least I've know those three names uh, it comes after the european union passed a law last month requiring all new cars sold to have zero co2 emissions from 2035 a director of strategic development at sweden's transport administration jan Pettersson, uh, welcomed the development and said the electrification of motorways was essential for decarbonizing the transport sector in 2018 sweden trialed the world's first charging rail for electric vehicles along a one-mile stretch of road between Arlanda Airport, Stockholm and Rosersberg. So, good idea or bad idea? Inevitable idea. It, 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 you can't... <coughs> how, many, <coughs> how many actual charging points are there in the world at the moment? I would say there's about less than 1%. Yeah. Um... You, to 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 fulfil their dream by 2035, there's going to have to be a charging point outside everybody's door, everybody's door, uh, and try and work out how much power is that going to cost. Um, plus, if you live in an apartment, big long cable you've got coming out of your uh, your balcony on the 17th floor, isn't it? it it's it's where they're going to charge. But there is an awful lot of people who haven't got a parking bay to charge into, have to park on the road, um, certainly in the UK. Um, so underground charging uh, systems uh, has to be the future I did see one where they had it was in a car park where you could park over an area and it would charge up a battery from that I my phone I charge on a on a, on a, a pad at the side of my chair I stick it on that pad and it charges through it right it's, there's no cable in the in, in my phone it, it will charge the phone up in almost a normal time um just through being sitting on this pad you know so but then i have to throw up all that power going around everywhere that can't be that good for your body can it no you know you have to think about what's the what, what the downside is is to us and the way to the human body i mean you're not supposed to have that many x-rays are you etc or mri scans exactly but it's dangerous but if you start if now all the roads have got this power emanating from underneath them because that's the only way they can get the cars to run I think the I think the only way they're going to make this work, Vince, with electric vehicles, is where your petrol station no longer sells petrol; it sells a battery pack. You drive in, pull out your battery pack, and plug in another one, and drive drive away again. And they've got standardised on battery packs. That has to be the future. That can only be the way it'll work. I am not um, a fan of the electric car per se i think when you look at the vehicle when you look at uh, what's actually produced and what you drive in it looks brilliant but it's the ramifications of what we're talking about you know the practical side of it um mm. i mean certainly 
if you've got to go from for me for example if i wanted to go and see family up in the north of spain i'm not going to feel very happy um unless you know you've got a hybrid but i wouldn't think you can trust otherwise because you you just it's just totally an unknown oh, look at me i've been driving what four hours today probably a bit more yeah i'm, I'm, I'm not able to charge up where i'm going i'm 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 driving an hour and a half one way, an hour and a half another way, then an hour in a circle another way. Well, I haven't got time to stop and take an hour out to charge my car up. Not from them. They haven't thought it through. They have not thought this one through. It'll end in tears. Apart from that, in the year 2035, I'm going to end up with a diesel car that no bugger wants and I'll have to give it away. Okay, I've got one last one for you, which is this. Okay, this is just to clear our minds because quite honestly I think any uh, music is inappropriate when you read in the paper as I'm looking at the parents of a seven-year-old girl whose throat was slashed by a mentally ill um, Albanian woman as she rode her scooter uh, and uh, they say the daughter would still be alive if her killer hadn't been granted asylum. At the start of an inquest uh, probing the horrific Mother's Day killing of seven-year-old Emily Jones they said it should vigorously examine how this particular um, lady was allowed to stay in Britain. Now 33, she's a paranoid schizophrenic, suffering, uh, obviously, uh, with this terrible disease. The, the trial heard she smuggled, smuggled herself into Britain on the back of a lorry, claimed asylum on the grounds that she was a victim of traffickers. She was turned down only for the decision to be overturned on appeal. Um but the Home Office has never revealed whether it was ever informed that uh, this particular woman had told doctors her claim had been based on a lie or that she'd been previously being suspected of wielding a knife. Terry, um, I mean, there the, the just don't seem to be the checks on these people that are coming in. Um, and, and really, uh, I the more I read about certainly bad things like this, the more you think to yourself, well... The, 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 they can't be this inefficient it's got to be something bigger than that they're, they're just abdicating their author, the, the, the necessary uh, controls for bringing people in or people arriving in the country and then staying in the country okay you've got about two minutes to give me an answer what do you think well number one mental illness is, is probably the biggest epidemic we're about to face mental illness is, is, is far greater it's around us everywhere um i have to say myself that i never really came across anybody who was mentally ill before i speak well maybe one or two you know but now you see it more and more and more and more uh is it is it caused by our way of life i, I don't know i have no idea but you certainly can't you can't blame it on the on the on the system that, that gave her asylum status no way in a million years what is wrong is that everybody coming across that channel um, has, has gone through at least seven democratic countries on the way. I do not agree that they are refugees. No, they're not. They've gone through seven other countries on the way. They haven't stopped to get refugee status there for the simple reason, like in France, you've got a 7% chance of being accepted. In Britain, it's about 85%. So that's the reason why people jump in dinghies and get across to, the, to, the, to, to Britain. It's not because they like us. It's because, logically, that's the only way we're going to get refugee status. And that has to change, and the government's trying to change that at the minute, and good luck with that. You can't, hang it, you can't say this woman uh, killed that girl because she was uh, a refugee that shouldn't have been taken in. That doesn't hold water for But what is more to the point is there is an awful lot of mental illness around, and we aren't taught how to deal with it. Um, it's only when it happens in your own family you suddenly realise, I better start learning about this and how to live with it. Um, and, and, and it doesn't happen unfortunately it doesn't happen um, for that reason we need to be educated about mental illness because that's what this is we're talking about a case of a woman who's severely mentally ill alright Terry ok we'll leave it there we're right bang on the hour lots of interesting things to talk about which we've done um, nothing seems to ever improve but um, who knows maybe oh. Saturday will be the start of something good let's hope so 
That'd be nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'll, uh, I won't be wearing a suit, but I'll, uh, I'll pledge my allegiance to the king. Well, I certainly won't, and I'll be watching the football. <laughs> <laughs> Terry. Scouts, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers, Terry. Bye-bye. You might not be an I'll be gone. You can love